you would please open your Bibles to the book of James. Martin Luther, whose emphasis on God's grace as that which saves us, initially in his study of Scripture had a little trouble with the book of James. He eventually grew in his faith and understanding and thankfully recognized that this is in fact God's Word. But early on he referred to it as we would translate it in English, as a right strawy epistle. In other words, it has a lot of straw in it. It's not, not all good grain. He eventually realized that he was wrong. As we are fond of saying, Scripture edits us, we don't edit the Scripture. So, God's Word recorded for us in the epistle of James. I'm going to read the First 18 verses this morning. This is God's Word, James chapter 1. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. To the twelve tribes scattered among the nations, greetings. Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. If any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to him. But when he asks, he must believe and not doubt. Because he who doubts is like a wave of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. That man should not think he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all he does. The brother in humble circumstances ought to take pride in his high position. But the one who is rich should take pride in his low position, because he will pass away like a wildflower. For the sun rises with scorching heat, And withers the plant. Its blossom falls and its beauty is destroyed. In the same way, the rich man will fade away even while he goes about his business. Blessed is the man who perseveres under trial. Because when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when, by his own evil desire, he is dragged away and enticed. Then, after desire is conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. Don't be deceived, my dear brothers. Every good and perfect gift is from above coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. He chose to give us birth through the word of truth, that we might be a kind of firstfruits of all he created. 
May God add his blessing to this reading from his holy and inspired word. James, a servant of God and of the Lord, Jesus Christ. Something he doesn't mention, but that church history tells us is so, is that this James was not the brother of John, the sons of Zebedee. This James was Jesus' brother. I didn't think Jesus had brothers. Well, yes, he did go back and read in the Gospels, and you find that he did have brothers and sisters. And his mom brought his brothers to take charge of him when he wasn't getting enough to eat, in Mary's opinion. His neighbors, when Jesus was preaching, got a little bent out of shape. Their nose got out of joint because they said, where did he get all this? Isn't this uh, the brother of these guys and of these women? Uh, we, we know him. He's from our town. How did he get all this? How is he speaking with such authority? What's going on here? This James is the brother of Jesus. But that isn't how he wants to be introduced. Instead, He is the servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because he recognizes that Jesus was not Joseph's biological son. This is the Son of God. James is writing to the twelve tribes scattered among the nations. His audience, his intended audience, is essentially the Jewish believers who have been dispersed. Now, does that mean that this doesn't apply to us? No, it doesn't mean that at all. But it's helpful to understand that the people to whom he was writing were coming from a Jewish background. They had become believers in Jesus as the Messiah, but they had a different background than most of us do. Nevertheless, this is God's word to us as well. And what we are told right off the bat, consider it pure joy, my brothers. Consider it pure joy whenever you get a bigger paycheck than you were expecting. Consider it pure joy when your spouse fixes your favorite food. Consider it pure joy when the doctor gives you a good report. Consider it pure joy when you wake up and it's your favorite kind of weather, whether that's sunshine or snowfall, whatever it is, when you get what you want your way, consider it pure joy. Well, that's really not exactly what he says. He says, consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds. What? You're saying when things don't go the way that I wanted? Well, yeah, in fact, it may be a lot more than not getting your favorite meal or not having your favorite weather 
it may be absolute persecution. He's writing to the tribes that had been scattered. They'd had to leave their homes and go to different places in order to find refuge. They're having to start over again. And he says to them, consider it pure joy, my brothers. Whenever you face trials of many kinds, because it's helpful to have a positive attitude. No, because you know, not just you hope, you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. I have never been an exercise enthusiast. Okay? It's just not me. My dad was. We got my dad a bench press for his 70th birthday. Okay? He loved that stuff. For his 60th birthday, he went down to the college gym and uh, climbed the pegboard. If you don't know what a pegboard is, it's, it's a piece of wood on the wall that has holes in it, and there are two dowels at the bottom, and you jump up and grab hold of those dowels. And then you pull this one out and put it up in the next hole, and then pull this one out and put it in the next hole, and then you go like this, and you climb up to the top. And that is something that a lot of athletes can't do. The college basketball team stopped to watch this guy with bald head and ring of white hair climbing the pegboard on his 60th birthday. They didn't know it was his 60th birthday. They just wondered who was this guy and how does he do that. He climbed up and back down, and up and back down. <laughs> wow, what's going on there? Well, Dad loved that. And after Dad had had a good workout, or even before he was about to, but, I mean, the whole notion of exercise was exciting to him. And the reason was, it made him strong. And it did. Very impressive. Me, not so much, okay? I used to do some things at my father's urging, and I developed some musculature that those who know me now can't imagine. But, but actually, I never liked it. I did it because, I, you know, it's, it's, it's one of those things you need to do, you know? If you're going to be a man, you've got you to get in shape. You've got to take care of yourself. But for me, it was always a bummer. For my dad, he loved it because he knew it made him strong. He knew it developed perseverance. He knew that the more he did it, the better he got at it. I was always thinking, when can I be done? Well, shame on me because dad had the right attitude. Physical exercise profits a little. Spiritual discipline produces great reward. And we're told by God in his word that perseverance is needed because it must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. God is at work in us. In order to make us mature, and complete. 
And in order for us to be mature and complete, we need perseverance. And in order to have perseverance, we have to have hard times. We have to have difficulty. It is essential. I would be perfectly happy to do exercise that didn't involve expended energy. You know, if I could just sit on the sofa and say, okay, I'm going to start my little timer here on my watch, and in 30 minutes, I'll be done. Okay? I'm just going to, I'm going to exercise my mind. Well, it's good to exercise your mind, but that's not going to do a lot for your physical health. And your spiritual health and your character, your maturity, are not going to happen if you don't go through hard times and develop perseverance. You've got to face difficulty and keep on going. It's essential. And the fact is, it actually works. When I started doing what the cardiologist said and walking for exercise, I found, to my dismay, that he was saying 10,000 steps a day, and I was doing about 2,500. So I began pushing it. And within a couple of weeks, I was up to 10,000 steps a day and hating it. But I did it. And after a while, without any great difficulty, I was doing 11 to 12,000 steps a day. Okay? Ha ha. It wasn't so hard. I still don't love it. But I feel good about the fact that I'm getting it done. If I were to show you my record of steps this week, you would see that day after day after day after day, I'm surpassing the goal, okay? Because that's just the kind of guy I am. No, the fact is, I do that because A, I know it's good for me, and B, it's not so hard now. If you push on through and do what you're supposed to, after a while, it's not so difficult. Perseverance Keeping on, keeping on is something that we have to have in order to become mature and complete and not lacking anything. But then he specifies one particular thing that a lot of us lack from time to time, and that's wisdom. Wisdom doesn't come so much from perseverance as a gift from God. If any of you lacks wisdom... He should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault. I love, I think it's the J.B. Phillips paraphrase, says, without making us feel foolish for having asked. I like that. Without finding fault, and it will be given to him. How many of you say within the last year? have found yourself in a situation where you realized you lacked wisdom. Okay? I mean, that, that happens. We face a situation, and it's like, well, I think I ought to... Oh, wait a minute. Now I don't know if I should, or if I should... Uh, how do I decide? How do I know? You know who knows? Who always knows? God. 
So if you ask God for wisdom, which is the capacity to see things from his perspective, if you ask God for wisdom, the Bible says he'll give it. And then it adds a caveat. It says, no, wait. Let's be clear about this. When he asks, verse 6, he must believe and not doubt because he who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. That man should not think he will receive anything from the Lord. He's a double-minded man, unstable in all he does. I got a phone call this week from a friend who's facing a major decision regarding his work. And he said, I feel like that double-minded man who's blown and tossed by the wind and the waves, he said, I, I want to do God's will, but I want to be sure I don't make a mistake. And I said, you know, I can relate to that perfectionistic anxiety about making a decision for fear we might do the wrong thing. And you have to be careful because that is very closely related to self-righteousness and pride. You see, we're the sheep. He's the shepherd. If you doubt yourself, you're wise. If you doubt him, you're foolish. Well, what if I make a mistake? That's why you have a shepherd. You will never find a sheep going around with a compass. They don't do that. They don't need to. They have somebody who looks after them. So what happens if uh, all we like sheep go astray and we turn everyone to our own way? Well, the Lord will take care of it. He's our shepherd. He'll look out for us. But I might make a mistake. Ooh, that would be embarrassing, wouldn't it? Good thing we have a shepherd. I'm, I don't want to embarrass you all, but... I think there's enough of us that you won't feel too embarrassed. How many of you within the last year have made a mistake? Oh, that's all of us. Wow. Of course it is. It's why we need a shepherd. It's why we need someone who knows everything and loves us more than we love ourselves. Who loves us so much that he literally gave his life for us. And he loves us still. Our Heavenly Father loves us so much that he sent Jesus to save us. The Apostle Paul writes in Romans, He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how will he not also along with him freely give us all things? So when it talks here about having faith and not doubting, it's not having faith in yourself. It's not having faith in your path. It is not having faith in your gifting. It is having faith in your Lord. If you trust him that what he says is going to be best, then you can proceed with confidence, knowing that if you make a mistake, he'll correct you. And he won't make you feel foolish about it. If you want to do God's will, 
more than anything else, God will make sure you do his will. I have thought on more than one occasion in my life, oh, this has got to be it, and boom, got the door slammed in my face and it hurt my nose. And I said, thank you, Lord, for protecting me from what I thought was going to be a good thing. Uh, You know, I'm so grateful. I can look back on a bunch of things that I wanted and God said no. And I realized, he knew the future, I didn't. If I'd been Joseph in the prison, I would have been like Joseph trying to get somebody to get me out of there. Now listen, Mr. Wine Taster, when you go back and start working for Pharaoh again, you need to tell him about me. Tell him that I am here unjustly. I've done nothing to deserve to be in prison. And in fact, I shouldn't even be in this country. I want to go back home. And then some more years went by. And he's still sitting there in jail. For a crime he didn't commit. It's terrible. It's awful. It's not fair. Why am I here? Nope. He just worked hard and kept going. Perseverance. And it turns out, if he'd gotten out when he wanted and gone back home, there would have been a big ruckus at home because, of course, his dad would find out that his brothers had sold him into slavery and then tried to fool dad and succeeded in making him believe that Joseph was dead. That would have been unpleasant. But not nearly as unpleasant as when the famine came a number of years later, and they all would have starved to death. That would have been a bummer. But God kept him in prison until just the right time for him to become the prime minister of Egypt and save not only the Egyptians, but his family back home from famine. Isn't God good? So, when you pray for wisdom, you need to believe and not doubt. In other words, don't ask God for wisdom so that you can consider that option. You know, I'm looking at whether or not to do this or whether to do this, and uh, I'd really like God to weigh in on it. Hmm, the Bible says this. That seems to line up better with that, but this still looks awfully good. (sighs) Not sure what I'll do. I'm sorry, I beg your pardon? Well, I mean, I I know, you know, this seems to line up better with Scripture, but look at this. I mean, have you ever seen anything more desirable? Okay? I mean, this really looks good. I I think we shouldn't just throw it aside. If the reason you want to know God's will is in order to do God's will, God will make sure you know his will. If the reason you want to know God's will is so that you can consider that strongly, 
you shouldn't expect to get anything from God. Don't expect him to tell you what to do because it's only going to add to your condemnation because your heart is still not trusting in him. Are you trusting in him? Do you believe that the one who sent his son to save you cares about you so much that whatever he says is going to turn out to be best? I mean, that kind of makes sense, doesn't it? God knows the future. I don't. God knows everything about me. I don't. God knows what will bring me the greatest joy. But what will bring me the greatest joy, ultimately, is doing his will and one day hearing him say, well done, good and faithful servant. That's what matters. So, if you want to know the will of God, say, God, should I do this or should I do this? And it actually goes beyond that. Realize that God might not want you to do either of those things. You're treating your life like a Chinese menu. One from column A, two from column B. Okay? I've got all these options, and I think I'm going to do this and, and this, and I think that would make me happy. Well, it's fine to make choices. Ask the mentors if Pastor Wood believes it's important to learn to make choices. I emphasize the need to be able to make choices. But you've got to start with saying, God, whatever you want. Whatever you want. Write God a blank check every day. If you're taking notes, write that down. Put it on your mirror. Write God a blank check every day. What that means is, God, this day is yours. I am yours. Everything I have is yours. And I want to do whatever you want. Now, does that mean I have no opinions, no preferences? No, not at all. But it means that I submit my opinions and preferences to him and say, rule and overrule. Guide and direct me. Keep me in the path that you want me to follow. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not rely on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make your path straight. He will direct your path. He will keep you in the way you ought to go. I don't ask God whether or not to get up in the morning. I know I'm supposed to. If God wants me not to get up in the morning, it's up to him to tell me that. I don't lie there and wait to get a word. Well, I just, honey, I haven't gotten up because I just, I, I haven't got a word yet from the Lord as to whether or not to get out of bed. You don't need a word from God about that. I don't ask God whether or not to have breakfast. I don't even ask God what to have for breakfast. But I've had times when the Lord told me, don't eat today. 
I've had times when the Lord said, you can eat that, but I don't want you to eat that today. And I say, yes, sir. Why? He knows. And one of the things that he does is just to cultivate obedience in his child. Oh, Pastor, well, this could lead some people to kind of a crazy OCD, kind of, you know, always thinking I'm hearing from God and how do I know if it's God and should I do this or not do this? Yeah, it could. You know who I would let worry about that? God. You say, well, I'm, you know, I think I have some OCD tendencies. Yeah, me too. Well, but I mean, I'm afraid I might develop into such a neurosis that I would say, you know who you ought to tell? Tell him. Say, Lord, I, I really do want to do your will, and I really do want to obey you, but I really don't want to become crazy because of my own inner stuff. And God will say, oh, gosh, I wish I could help. Do you think? Or do you think God says, I'll take care of you. I'll guide you. I'll direct you. He's already said it in his word. I'm not telling you, if you will do this, which is written in James, God will do this, which is written in Proverbs, and I just made that up. No, that is what his word says. If any of you lacks wisdom, ask God. He'll give generously to all who ask as long as they really trust him and want to do what he says. That's not my mysterious, mystical path. You know, we have the Bible, and it's good, but Pastor Wood is teaching us how to just be guided by an inner voice. No, I'm asking you to hide God's word in your heart so that as you face situations, God will speak to you Generally, by reminding you of something from his word. Now, don't do the, okay, God, I'm just going to open my Bible with my eyes shut and put my finger down and see what it says. And Judas went out and hanged himself. (laughs) That can't be right, okay? Let's try again. Go thou and do likewise. That's an old joke. That was a joke when I was a kid, probably when my grandparents were kids, okay? But, but here's the thing. This is not some kind of magical book. This is God's Word. It is inspired by the Holy Spirit. God breathed His Word. It is totally true, totally trustworthy, and so we need to have our minds saturated with His Word so that when thoughts come, we can recognize, okay, that is consistent with Scripture versus, okay, that, that is not God. <laughs> that is not God. God is not telling me that I should go down and rob a bank in order to give it to ministry. Okay? Well, how do you know it's not God? Because he said, thou shalt not steal. Oh, okay. I should have known that. Yes, you should have. God will never contradict himself. God will never lead you into sin. And as we read earlier, he won't even tempt you to do evil. But God will guide those who want to do his will by whatever means is necessary. 
It may be a dream like Joseph got. It may be a visit from an angel like Abraham got and Mary got and various other people got. God knows how best to communicate with each of us. And most of the time, we just need to do what we already know. Understand? We don't don't need a bulletin. God willing, we'll continue through the book of James. There is much there. It is not a narrative passage like the Gospels or the book of Acts. It is almost like the book of Proverbs, where you have a series of important truths that God's people need to remember. But remember this above all else. It is his word, and it teaches us how to serve the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, we come to you asking that you would take your word and plant it deep in our hearts that we might do your will, not just be hearers of the word. We thank you that you are faithful to complete the work you've begun in us, and we pray that we would be faithful to give you all the praise in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen.